This evening's scripture is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, we do invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very grateful to have the Keenan family place membership with us and begin working with us on a regular basis. And if you're here tonight and you're looking for a church home, we invite you to sit down and talk to the elders and learn about the many opportunities for service in this congregation. And I do believe that there are any number of, of tasks, responsibilities that uh, you might be willing to, to work at on a regular basis. And we would love to have you come and join hands with us. In our study tonight, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at that in just a moment or two. I do want to mention very quickly, Brother D.O. made reference to this a moment ago, that we have a radio program that is being broadcast beginning today on AM 560 at 8.30 a.m. And this program will follow Brother Gary Colley, who preaches for the Getwell Church of Christ, and that program is entitled Truth and Love. And the Getwell Church has been involved in radio work for the last 50 years or so, and as a result of that association and the Spiritual Sword Media, uh, we had the opportunity, or I have the opportunity, to be a part of, of this 30-minute program, and I hope that you will listen to this program on a regular basis on your uh, way to services. I appreciate very much Rogers Stevens and his work in helping to take the lessons that I preach here, edit those, and then make them ready for radio. And so I encourage you to invite your friends and neighbors to listen to that program on a weekly basis. Tonight we look at Mark in chapter 2, and we're going to be noting verses 1 down through verse 12. And the subject that we want to consider together tonight is the incomparable Jesus. I do not know of anyone like Jesus Christ. When you begin to survey the life of Christ, examining his words and his works, his works and his words are far superior to anyone that has ever had the opportunity to grace planet earth. Jesus Christ, in his lifetime, was incomparable. He is incomparable today. He is second to none. He is superior. His supremacy, his preeminence, is reflected time and again throughout the Bible. And so tonight, I want us to think for a moment or two about the incomparable Jesus. The first thing that I call your attention to in our study is the word house. Because in Mark chapter 2, we read of Jesus entering a home. Now this home was located in Capernaum, and geographically, Capernaum 
was located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it would have been north of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had spent time in Galilee. It was there that he had done a lot of preaching and teaching. He had healed many people who were sick with various diseases. And so we find him entering into this home. And the Bible tells us that when the Messiah, the Christ, entered this home, that word got out. You can just imagine Jesus going from town to town, from city to city, people hearing about the Son of God coming into their town, and no doubt that would have caused quite a stir. It was not uncommon for Jesus to draw great crowds of people, multitudes of people, and that's exactly what occurs on this occasion. And so look, if you would, at verse 1. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Now note what happens after these people hear that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in this home in Capernaum. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Sometimes we talk about certain events that will transpire from time to time, and we'll say, well, it was standing room only. It was a capacity crowd. Well, that was the case here. Here we have a home, and Jesus is in that home, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And once people hear about it, great multitudes throng to this home. They, wanna, they want to see for themselves the Christ. They want to hear him. And so note what Jesus does. The Bible says that once everyone gathered together, he preached the word to them. I think about Jesus Christ availing himself of every opportunity to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Take, for example, what is said in the book of Matthew in chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, following the work, or not long after the work of John the Baptist began, began Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And down in Matthew chapter 4 at verse 23, the Bible says that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And so Jesus took the opportunity on this occasion to preach the gospel to these people. Now, with this capacity crowd this great multitude of people present, and Jesus preaching this divine message to the people, we have some men that, according to Mark, come on the scene. And apparently they have a friend, somebody that they're concerned about, that they care about. And these men want this friend of theirs, this associate of theirs, who is a paralytic, to come in contact with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. After all, the reputation of Jesus was such that people obviously knew about his great power. They understood him to be someone of great importance. And so note, if you would, what is said in verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now Mark tells us that these men were very clever. The house is filled to capacity. No one else is able to get into the home, apparently. And so look what these men do. The Bible says when they could not come near him because of the crowd, 
they uncovered the roof where he was. And the Bible says, when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now you have to, you have to be impressed with the ingenuity of these men. Here they have this friend of theirs, this associate, that is bedridden. And they care enough about him to bring him to Jesus Christ. Now there are a couple of observations. Let me just make very quickly. Jesus is in this house. What if Jesus were on earth today? Let's suppose that he were in Olive Branch and for the sake of conversation he happened to be in a home near the building here. If Jesus were nearby, would you want to get inside that home to see the Son of God? Would you want, like these people, to hear what Jesus had to say? These men did. These people did. And then also, we talk about the care of these men that have brought this paralytic to Jesus. Obviously, they cared enough about this friend, this associate, to bring him to Jesus. Now, here's a question we might ask. Do we care enough about others to bring them to Jesus? Do we, like these men, look for opportunities to bring other people to Christ, the Son of God? Take, for example, what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 3. He said, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word. What's Paul saying when he wrote, what was he saying when he wrote to the saints in Colossae? Paul was, he was simply stressing this. I want you people you brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for me. And I want you to pray that God will open a door so that the Word of God might have free course in the lives of other people. In other words, I want you to be praying that a door of opportunity will open so that I will have, I will have the privilege of speaking on behalf of Christ to others. Now what about us? Do we look for doors of opportunity? Are we praying for doors of opportunity to open so that we can share the good news of the gospel of Christ so that we can bring other people to Christ? Think of all of the avenues open to us to encourage others to come to Christ. We can invite people to worship. You and I have the opportunity on a weekly basis to invite people to worship services and Bible study right here at Olive Branch. We can encourage people to sit down and study with us. We can be praying that somebody might be willing to engage in a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with us. We can encourage somebody to take a Bible correspondence course. We can take a tract, a CD, a cassette tape, hand that to somebody and say, now listen to this or read this, and then after, you, after you've read it or listened to it, if you have some questions, I'll be willing to sit down and talk with you. But again, the idea, looking for opportunities. Let me tell you, Jesus in the long ago said, lift up your heads. 
and look on the fields. Why? For they are white already under harvest. I'm convinced that this community, this area, and not just here, but other areas across this country, are ripe for the gospel of Christ. Look at the economy. Look at, look at our, our nation today. Some of the unrest and upheaval that exist in the lives of people. It has been said before, I believe it to be the case, that people typically do better in times of adversity rather than prosperity. Why is that? Because when they are down on their luck, when times are hard, they tend to look upward instead of inward. They tend to realize they need a higher power involved in their lives. The fields are white to harvest. The question is, are we willing to seize the opportunities? God will open doors of opportunity for us, but those doors sometimes close. I think about the church here. There's a window of opportunity right here in this community. Are we going to seize the opportunities before us? Not just in DeSoto County, but look at other places across this country. What is it people need to the north of us or to the south of us or east or west or wherever? They need the gospel of Christ. And the haunting question is, do we care enough about others to bring them to Jesus? Are we like Paul praying that a door of opportunity would be opened for us that we might be able to share the gospel with others? And so, these men were commended by Jesus. Note what is said in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus commended this great occurrence. Obviously he recognized that there was some faith on the part of these people. It took faith and ingenuity on their part to bring this paralytic to Jesus to take the time and, and, and effort to put him in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we think about first of all the house, the home located in Capernaum. But now, I want you to consider with me the healing. And note what is said beginning in verse 6. And what, what you're going to find out in verse 6 is there were some critics. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the Bible says in verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Now, the scribes were religious people, and they should have been knowledgeable about the law, about the law of God. They, like the other religious people, the Jewish people of, the, of that day, they should have been looking for a Messiah. Unfortunately, many of the people in Jesus' day failed to recognize him as deity. They failed to understand that this was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that had been foretold of by the prophets centuries earlier. And so they were very critical. Jesus, during his conversation with some of the Jews on one occasion said, I and my father are one. 
Jesus was God in the flesh. Well, they wanted to know, who can forgive sins but God? There are some folks that are critics. And really, I guess the, the cousin to criticism would be cynicism. And there are people like the scribes of Jesus' day. They're critical of everything. Nothing suits them. They're not happy about anything. I've often thought, if Jesus Christ were on earth today, and he were involved in the lives of people, there would be people that would be upset with him. They wouldn't like him. They'd be critical of his, of his words and his, his works, just like they were in the first century. Jesus didn't make everybody happy. And yet Jesus came with a divine purpose. And so, note the challenge in verses 8 and 9. Jesus asked the question, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. So what did Jesus do? He cured this man. He healed him. The miracles that Jesus performed in the first century, what was the purpose behind those miracles? The miracles that Jesus performed were to authenticate his ministry, to validate who he was and what he was. He was the Son of God. On one occasion, Jesus said in John chapter 5, the very works that I do, they testify of me that I was sent from the Father in verse 36. When Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, and did all of these marvelous things, they attested to the fact that he was the Son of God. And so Jesus says here, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. Jesus healed this man. Now there's a third thing that I want you to see in this, le in this lesson text. And that is his honor. Note verse 12. In verse 12, the cry of the people. The Bible says, Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I said a moment ago that when you begin to analyze the life of Jesus, you'll see that he was and is incomparable. He has no equal, no peer. Jesus Christ is incomparable. He is incomparable in word and in his works. Take, for example, first of all, the words of Jesus. Can you imagine standing in the presence of Jesus and hearing him say, 
your sins are forgiven you. And then turning around and saying, arise, take up your bed and walk, healing this, this paralytic. Jesus Christ was incomparable in his speech, in his words. In John chapter 7 at verse 46, a statement is made about the Son of God that I think helps to underscore his uniqueness. The people of his day said no man ever spoke like this man. What were they saying? They were saying we have never heard anyone like this man. No one is his equal. No man ever spoke like this man. What about the words of Jesus? Let me suggest unto you that he speaks words of life. Jesus speaks words of life. In John 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Now Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. On another occasion, Jesus said, but you will not come to me that you might have life. You see, the decision is ours. Jesus speaks words of life. In John chapter 6, Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life. Many of the Jews of that day, they had difficulty comprehending what he was saying. It was a difficult saying. That's what John tells us. And so, in verse, six, in verse 60, the Bible says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked, Will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Jesus speaks words of life. The question is, are we willing to listen to what the Son of God has to say? Are we willing to come to Him to enjoy life? Think about what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus spoke words of life. Jesus also spoke words of liberation. When Jesus came into this world, His purpose, as the angel of God said to Joseph, was to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 21. So in John 8 verse 32, here's what Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you want to be free from the burden of sin, let me tell you where you need to go. You need to go to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because he has the words of liberation. He is the only one that can liberate you from a life of sin. And the reason is because he shed his blood on Calvary for your sins. And so Jesus today, he has the words of life. He also has words of liberation. And then finally, he has words of light. Everything that Jesus said and did was to bring light into this world. Jesus recognized that people in the world were engulfed in spiritual darkness. That's the problem today. People are living in spiritual darkness. And they need the light of God's truth 
to lead them to the cross. The psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. John tells us in 1 John 5, 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There are a lot of people in our world today whose lives are marred by sin. They are literally engulfed in spiritual darkness, and yet Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And his, his word is said to be light. It can lead a person out of darkness into the light of his presence. So we talk about the words of Jesus, his incomparable words, but then also his incomparable works. The case before us in Mark chapter 2 lets us know that Jesus Christ came to serve humanity. If you were to, to sit down and, and to begin to put on paper some characteristics of Jesus, what would, what would you write down? What would be some things that you would come up with to help someone see a portrait of Jesus? One of the words that comes to my mind is compassion. You know, there are some hard-hearted people in our world. There are some people in our world today that they're unmoved by the hurts and the ills of their fellow man. It's all about them. But when you begin to look at the life of Jesus, you see somebody who is truly compassionate. Take, for example, the case in Mark Back in chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we read about a leper coming to Jesus. And the Bible says he fell down before him. And he said, as recorded by Mark in verse 40, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was a dreaded disease. And yet, what did Jesus do? The Bible says in verse 41, he was moved with compassion. put out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. Can you imagine Jesus reaching out and touching the untouchable? Leprosy, as I said a moment ago, was a dreaded disease. Those who had leprosy were oftentimes quarantined. They were colonized. And to those who might be, be approaching them, they would cry out the fact that they were a leper. And yet Jesus Christ reached across that barrier and touched this man. Why did he do that? Because he was compassionate. The Hebrew writer said, speaking of Jesus, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But one who has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is a merciful and compassionate being. His compassion reflected over and over again in his dealings with mankind. Not only was Jesus compassionate, but I would suggest unto you that Jesus was caring. Jesus cared about people. I don't know about you, but it's, 
It's encouraging to know that others care. Sometimes we sing the song, Does Jesus care? Oh yes, I know He cares. The Lord cares. He cares about us individually and collectively. The care of Jesus reflected over and over again. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The biographical sketches of these four men inspired by Almighty God to present unto us a portrait of the Son of God. And what do you see? You see Jesus reaching out to people. Why? Because he cared. In John chapter 4, when Jesus had a conversation with a, a woman from Samaria, the Bible says that the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. Why? Because there was enmity between these two groups of people. But Jesus cared enough about her to spend time with her. And you know what? He made a difference in her life because she went back home and said, come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. Or what about Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. And in Matthew chapter 9, we read about Jesus sitting in the home of Matthew. We read about these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is associating with them. Why? Because he cared about them. Or what about Zacchaeus in Luke 19? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors were a despised lot of people. And yet Jesus said, come down from that sycamore tree. I must abide in your house. Jesus came to help Zacchaeus get his life back on track. And Jesus today cares enough about us to help us get our life back on track. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 7, casting all your care on him. Why? For he cares for you. The Lord cares about you. If he didn't care about you, he would have never said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. A lot of people in our world today whose lives are are filled with worry and anxiety. And yet Jesus Christ, because he cares for us, because he is at work in the affairs of our lives, said, do not worry. If Jesus didn't care about you, he would have never said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Never would he have said that. Never would he have said that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to give up. He wouldn't have said that if he didn't care about you. If Jesus didn't care about you, he would have never said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. Not only is Jesus compassionate and caring, but he's also comforting. He is incomparable. In John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, but he was going to use that as an object lesson to the people of his day. When Jesus arrived in town to meet with the family of Lazarus and the friends of Lazarus. We read about Martha coming to Jesus. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall never die. 
Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The tender heart of Jesus was such that the Bible records in John chapter 11 verse 35 that Jesus wept. And yet Jesus was present on that occasion. And I think about the comfort that Jesus, words of comfort that Jesus could have spoken on that occasion. And maybe other occasions in his, in his ministry. There are times in life when we need comfort. When our hearts are hurting. When the weight of the world is pressing down upon our shoulders. And yet we have, we have a God who's there to comfort. So my question to you tonight would be this. Do you know anybody like Jesus? Do you know anybody that compares to Jesus of Nazareth? I don't know of anybody. There's never been a person on this earth like Jesus. There will never be a person on earth like Jesus. When Jesus was put to death on the cross, there was a Roman centurion that stood by. And that centurion said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And that's what you and I need to see, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is incomparable. And He and He alone can make a difference in your life if you will let Him. What do you need to do to come to Him? You have to come to Him on His terms. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. Jesus also said, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. Would you be willing to do what that eunuch did centuries ago when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38? Would you then be willing to live faithfully until death, to be steadfast, knowing that God will one day crown you? If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful. Maybe your life's not been what it should be. Maybe it's because you've not been running faithfully the Christian race. We're here to pray for you and pray with you. We would help you in any way we can. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?